I feel as though it needs to be said and perhaps is quite obvious observation that our culture is hurting. Our nation is hurting. We see anger and hate and violence all around us. And we are in need of the saving grace of God in Jesus. The word of our Lord from the Old Testament book of Genesis. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word to our hearts, to our minds, to the totality of our lives. May we be shaped by your word and may we walk and live accordingly. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Life is filled with big questions. There are three in particular that we most commonly wrestle with. I say they are big questions because they are enormous in both their breadth and also their gravity. They are of the utmost significance to our lives. They are big questions, but they are also basic Questions. They are fundamentals. They are foundational and form a foundation for our lives, dependent upon how we answer them. The three big questions that we tend to ask are Who am I? Where am I going? And how am I to get there? These questions are essentially wrestling with what is the origin of life? Who am I? What is the end of life? Not the termination, but the terminus, the direction, the goal, the purpose, the meaning, the end. Where are we headed? And what is the way of life or the way that leads to life? How shall we then live? As the great philosopher Francis Schaeffer asked. Notice these questions somewhat relate to the past, the future, and the present. Who am I? What is my origin? Where am I going? What is my end? What is the chief end of man? Some of you remember the answer from your catechisms growing up. And what are we to do today? In light of who we are, in light of where we're going, what now? The Scriptures offer us authoritative answers to these questions. And really, many questions that relate to life and how we are to live. However, before we get to those, let's think about what we're looking to rebuild. For these last few weeks, I've been keeping before you the idea of returning 
and rebuilding. Returning to the Lord and rebuilding what has been devastated. But what are we seeking to rebuild? Are we seeking to rebuild our culture? Yes. That's been much of what I've been talking about for these last few weeks. But why? Because we've lost our way. Why have we lost our way? Because the church has lost her way. Like Peter, we've not been thinking like God thinks. That was Jesus' accusation to Peter when he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful like God, but like man. In some, we've lost sight of what it means to think biblically. So, in reality, when we're talking about rebuilding, we're talking about looking to reframe a Christian worldview. That's what I hope to begin doing this morning. How is a Christian to think? How is someone who believes the Scriptures to be the Word of God and His will which is authoritative for our lives, how are we to think about ourselves, about the world around us, and how are we then to live? So in order to do this, we've got to get back to square one. Back to the beginning. Thinking about what are the implications of creation. Thinking about what does it mean to be a created person. I said that the Scriptures offer us answers, authoritative answers. Let's get right down to those. God made you in His image. We are not merely the product of evolutionary processes. Neither are we the sum of cultural constructs. What's more, we do not nor cannot define reality for ourselves. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. As such, to speak truth is to articulate a thought that at least in some finite way corresponds to reality. This morning, I refuse to say that I'm standing on a white marble floor. For I am not standing on a white marble floor. Look at it. We can debate what color perhaps it might be, but we could all agree that it is not white. From your perspective, it might be a dark gray. From my perspective, I would say it is a black painted floor. But we can certainly agree that this is not a white floor. And we can also agree that it's not a marble floor. It doesn't sound like marble. It doesn't feel like marble. It seems to be wood that has been painted. Perhaps it's not wood. It could be some composite of wood particles. It could be something that is designed to look and feel like wood, but it is certainly not a white marble floor. And I refuse to pretend that it's a white marble floor. 
God made you in His image, and therefore we cannot define reality for ourselves. Further, we do not nor cannot determine our own purpose or identity. Please bear with me while I try to make something very basic to life very abundantly clear. Sex is a biological fact. Gender is a grammatical label. The two are not the same. God created us as sexual or sexed beings. He created us as male or female. He did not create us as gendered stereotypes. If you've paid any attention to the news of late, to social media of late, to movies, music, television, or even sports of late, you might be very well thinking that we seem to have suddenly awoken, living in the midst of some strange word of faith, social experiment, where you say something and therefore it becomes so. Because you're convinced it's so. So you have the power within yourself to make it so. Our culture tells us that we can be anything we want to be. Even that we can... Even that which we biologically and factually are not. Since when did the American dream of a boy growing up to be a doctor or senator or fireman morph into him growing up to be a girl? Despite what our culture tells us, the scriptures are quite clear in what they, what they tell us. God made you in his image. He is the one who designed you. He is the one who created you. He is the one who defines reality. He is the one who sets parameters. Now for a few moments, hold that thought. We'll come back to it. The scriptures tell us that God made you to know him. Love Him and reflect Him. The great tragedy of the fall is in what mankind lost through Adam's sin. We forfeited knowledge for ignorance. We traded love for fear. We exchanged innocence for shame. In our culture, we've gone so far as to deconstruct the meaning of words. In the dismantling of our ideas, perhaps this was inevitable, but we've gotten to the place where words seem to have no meaning. They simply mean what we want them to mean. Even still, we've come to convince ourselves that we really do not know what it means to be male or what it means to be female. 
We've come to convince ourselves, despite thousands of years of clear and unmistakable knowledge, that we really do not know what marriage is. It simply is what we want it to be. Not what it always has been. Even in cultures where homosexual behavior has been seen as more or less acceptable, no one ever dared dream of considering it something upon which marriage could be built. We've even come to convince ourselves that we really do not know what therapy is. In case we've forgotten, therapy, simply put, means healing. No, we've now deconstructed therapy, robbing it of its meaning and redefining it as simply getting along as we would like. Don't tell me I have cancer. Tell me that I'm okay. Perhaps give me a placebo and send me on my way. Don't tell me about sin. That's a bad word. Tell me about how to be a better me and by all means allow me to determine for myself what that means. We even have what we call abortion clinics despite the fact that a clinic is by definition where a person who is ill goes for healing and restoration of health. What have we become? What have we done to ourselves and to our culture? This is why philosopher Peter Kraft observes that there are relatively few atheists among neurologists, brain surgeons, and astrophysicists, while there are many among psychologists, sociologists, and historians. The first are studying divine design and order, while the second are studying human undesign and disorder. Though God made us in His image to know Him, love Him, and reflect Him, we instead chose to ignore Him, resent Him, and mock Him. In doing so, we have dismantled reality. We have built a false reality for ourselves. And we aren't even content to play pretend ourselves. No, we now demand that everyone else play pretend along with us. Even still, the scriptures persist. God wants you to trust Him, obey Him, and follow Him. I'll address this at greater length next week, but for now, let me just say this. One of the most significant purposes of parenting is that God desires children to be given a model of authority to be trusted, obeyed, and followed. Sadly and tragically, too many parents have blown this opportunity for their children. Notice the craftiness of the temptation by the serpent. Can God really be trusted? 
What if He's simply holding out on you? Can you really be sure that He has your own best interests in mind? Sure, you know what He wants, but what do you want? We are so concerned and so passionate about sexual matters because sexuality matters so much. It is perhaps the most intimate part of who we are, more intimately tied to our identity than even race. Even still, we have elevated sexuality in our culture, even becoming obsessed with it. We can't get through a single day, it seems, at least most of us, without hearing something on the news, seeing something in the paper, or having something plastered in a movie or on TV, even in commercials about sexual identity or sexual orientation. To be clear, though, no longer is our culture even talking about sexual identity, really. We've depersonified ourselves, and now we've moved on to discussing gender identity. Our culture seems to have a remarkable ability to first make something taboo, only to then second, make that very same thing ultimate in life. We first treat something as though it must not be discussed, even hardly mentioned, and then we obsess over it. I have no doubt that we've done this with death in our culture, but in a very absolute sense, we have surely done this with sex. Just a couple of generations ago, it was the word that must never be uttered, like the name Voldemort. But now, most of us can hardly get through half an hour of any given day without, being, without it being mentioned, typically in a joke, in a debate, or in a story. Even with the most intimate part of who we are, God wants us to trust Him, obey Him, and follow Him. I say even with this most intimate part, but in fact the Scriptures are quite clear that we are called to trust, obey, and follow the Lord, especially with this most intimate part of who we are. This expectation that God has of us for trust, obedience, and following is made abundantly clear in the sign of God's covenant with Abraham, circumcision. The Scriptures are abundantly clear in their demands upon the expression of our created sexuality. Sexual intimacy is only to be shared monogamously within the covenantal marriage of one man and one woman. Period. The only other acceptable option, despite orientation, despite temptation, is celibacy. Period. Anything outside of this created design for man and woman is forbidden, and when willfully embraced, is considered sin. So how do we avoid 
simply circling the wagons or preaching to the choir. If we had a choir, that would make a little bit more literal sense. But you know what I mean. Remember that things now are not necessarily as bad as they have ever been. Sodom and Gomorrah were shockingly more horrible than we tend to think. We create kind of a a very flannel-graphed image of what Sodom and Gomorrah must have been like. But we've not yet returned in our culture to religiously celebrated bestiality literally in the public square which was known to have happened in the ancient world. The time to despair is not now. There's still work to be done. As long as there's a sun in the sky, there's a world that needs to know Jesus. So remember that things now are not necessarily as bad as they have ever been. But let us remember that we are called to be salt. And as such, we have a job to do. I don't always quote John Piper, but when I do, it's typically one of his tweets. I recall him tweeting a couple or more years ago that it's not the job of salt to mock rotting meat. It is the job of salt to preserve rotting meat. And we are called by Jesus to be the salt of the earth. Likewise, I don't always quote Patriots coach Bill Belichick, but when I do, it's because, and only because, he's known to say so aptly, do your job. Chuck Colson put it more profoundly, saying, Remain at your posts. Do your duty. We are called not to mock, ridicule, and bemoan those who are lost, even those who mock, ridicule, and bemoan us. No, we are called to be faithful to the Lord Jesus, to faithfully love those He died to save and to faithfully invite them to return to Him. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves, even those we deem our enemies, even those who deem us their enemies. Remember that not only does salt that has lost its saltiness fail, but so does salt that is unused. In other words, if you aren't in contact with rotting meat, you are no good to rotting meat and are therefore of little use as salt. As followers of Jesus, we must remember that He is always leading us, always, to those who are not following Him. So where's 
the rotting meat in your neighborhood. Where's the rotting meat at your office? Where's the rotting meat at your school? We have a job to do. We have a mission to accomplish. We have a gospel to proclaim. We have a redeemer to share. He made you in his image. He made you to know him, love him, and reflect him. He wants you to trust him, obey him, and follow him. If we were minded like the world, we would say that the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a waste. What if he had lived to see his 40s? What if he had lived to be able to write and reflect upon the cultural movements of the 60s and 70s and 80s in the West? But his life was not a waste. He said that when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. He calls us to the cross. The only means by which the world is saved is the cross. He who died upon it for our sakes invites us to die to ourselves for His sake and for the sake of the world He died to save. He who created us in His own image invites us to be remade by the image of His cross. May we be about His work. May we be faithful to our Lord and to His calling upon our lives. Again, I ask you, as we get back to square one, where's the rotting meat? In your neighborhood, at your office in your school we have a job to do let's pray